Hello, and welcome to the SourceCred Community Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Benton. I'm here with Dandelion, and today we're interviewing longtime contributor William Chargan. William was SourceCred's first contributor, pair programming with Dandelion in the early days and playing a vital role in getting the project to where it is today. We had a really interesting conversation. I found out more about William's contributions, how the SourceCred algorithm has evolved over time, his and Dandelion's different programming styles, and his thoughts on the direction of the project. I really enjoyed this conversation and hope you do too. Welcome to the show, William. Can you maybe start out by telling us a little bit about your background and how you found SourceCred? Yeah, I'm happy to go into that. It's kind of a fun story. So my my formal background is in computer science, right? I was just like a lot of other university students pursuing a, a degree. Um, I mean, I've been interested in programming for a long time before that, but I met Dandelion at an internship at Google where I was working on TensorBoard, which is a visualization system for TensorFlow, Google's machine learning toolkit. Anyway, TensorBoard is a project that Dandelion started at Google and was what I was working on during my internship. So Dandelion was my intern host and we were working together closely. Then I returned to university because I had a semester left. And when I was coming back, I had a return offer to Google as I, I'd converted from an intern to full-time. And I gave Dandelion a call and was like, hi, I have this return offer. Just wanted to check in and see if everything's still going well. Would I be welcomed back? Or is everything crashing and burning? And they said, well, you'll certainly be welcomed. But just so you know, I'm considering leaving Google myself, so maybe Let's just like have a chat. Don't sign anything until we get a chance to talk to each other. So I said, okay, and came back and we hung out for a bit. And we were talking about the ideas that would eventually become source cred, right? Deadline has had a lot of the ideas that would become source cred in their mind for a long time. But we were talking about it like over over dinner and Dandelion was saying, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to like leave and start working on this full time. So we started working together, pair programming at the house that Dandelion was living at. We started with some IPython notebooks that had just like grabbing data, playing around with it, visualizing it, seeing if PageRank had like any chance of doing anything reasonable, and it did. Then we started building some UIs for it so that we could have quick feedback and iteration cycles. And then we started investing a lot into the infrastructure and building systems like the graph module in, in SourceCred core so that we can have an abstraction into which we can load the data and out of which we can process the data and be able to reason about those processes, right? Because we, we've defined an abstraction that helps us reason about it. And so around this time, I decided that I was going to defer my Google offer for six months to work on SourceCred. I was really excited about it. I really enjoyed working with Dandelion. And I, I didn't want to just like reject Google because, you know, coming just out of college, it's nice to have a, a Google offer in your pocket as as maybe a bit of an understatement. Um, but I signed on with Protocol Labs, who's been sponsoring SourceCred both financially and just like with a lot of other support systems, like the people on Protocol Labs are very much aligned with SourceCred from the perspective of the projects that they want and just the vision that they have for the world. 
um, it's been fantastic working with them. And we agreed on a, a contract where I would work on source cred for protocol labs for six months. Um, I'd already been working on it for about two months at that time, just while I was trying to decide what I would do. And so that's what we did. We worked on it until about November of 2018 together. Uh, and then I packed up and went off to Google where I'm currently working. Um, it was in some ways definitely a benefit for us that I had this time boxed offer because it helped us plan a lot and we could cut scope because we have deadlines. I've grown to really respect the value of deadlines as an empowering tool rather than just a constraint, right? The, the nice thing about constraints is that they let you make decisions about the other parts of what you're going to do, right? If you knew you have a deadline that William's leaving for Google on November 5th, then you know that you can like prioritize your work around what my comparative advantage is, what we really want to have done before then. So that was a really nice forcing function. Um, I had a lot of fun developing the infrastructure, a lot of which is still in use today. Uh, I spent a couple months right at the end developing this, this mirror module that loads data from GitHub in a much nicer way than what we had before, which had the property that if it's ever interrupted because your network blips out for a minute, then you lose all the last couple hours of work and you have to start from scratch. There's no caching. So a lot of that infrastructure I'm, I'm still continuing to work on and improve, but has been really valuable for us to have uh, to, get us, to get us off the ground. Um, so for the last just over a year, I've been working at Google full-time back on TensorBoard, which is now a, a completely just disjoint set of people from the ones who were there. Well, I was working on it as an intern, except for me. But it, it, I really like my, my teammates, and there are some exciting things that we're doing. And I'm still learning a lot from working at Google, um, a lot about technical systems and systems design, and just like working with things like databases in the real world uh, and distributed systems in the real world, working on large code bases and some of the, you know, Google has a lot to offer in terms of technical systems and the way that they do things, especially as long as you realize that the way that Google does things is tailored for a specific domain and at a specific scale. And if you take those lessons in that context, then there's a lot that you can apply to other projects and there's a lot that you can't. Uh, and so you, you benefit a lot from learning both of those. Um, I continue to enjoy it, and I've been working on source thread as I can in my in my spare time since. You know, Dandelion and I talk regularly, even as they're traveling around the world, and I'm anchoring over here in sunny Palo Alto and related areas. Um, I mentioned that I'm like a computer scientist by background, and I really especially enjoy the mathematical and theoretical aspects of it. Some of my undergraduate research was in proof theory and formal logic and systems like that. I really enjoy combinatorial mathematics and related areas. So the graph theory that we're doing in, in source cred is very interesting to me. And I like building infrastructure like the graph that source cred has and the loading pipelines because it gives me, uh, it, I think it's especially amenable to reasoning that is, like logically sound, like 
there are ways in which I can say, okay, I'm like going to make these assumptions about the world, and then I'm going to develop systems that are based on those assumptions, and then I can like actually prove that they have certain properties, and I can guarantee that to the clients, and then they're robust as long as those assumptions hold. And sometimes what we see is that those assumptions don't hold, and then because the system was developed in the way that it was, I can see exactly how the violation of that assumption needs to propagate to cause certain changes in the system to make it robust in the ways we want it to be. And there are a lot of parts of programming that aren't like this, and those can also be really fun. And I enjoy having a balance of them, but I, I always find myself drawn back to the infrastructure and foundational systems. And source grid has a lot of a need for that. It has also a lot of a need for other kinds of programming. So there is uh, a lot of everything to go around. Yeah, I, I have to say I'm very appreciative of the infrastructure that's been built. When I found SourceCred, I just pointed at a GitHub repo and was kind of blown away. That was my uh, initiation. I do remember uh, Dandelion saying that the initial version of SourceCred that you built had some flawed assumptions and you had to sort of start over. Did you gain any insights from that just kind of fundamentally? Yeah. Um, I, I definitely did. This is, I think what you're referring to is the evolution of the graph abstraction that SourceCred uses. We've affectionately termed the two versions, Graph V1 and Graph V3. Uh, there was, as you may expect, a Graph V2 in the middle, but it was short-lived and poorly designed. But it was instrumental in getting to Graph V3. And we didn't really realize until we had implemented and begun working with Graph V3 what a difference this made. But I can summarize what the problem was and what the solution was. The problem was that our first version of the graph, Graph V1, was attempting to store all the data uh, directly in the graph. And like all the data that could be of interest to source cred. So this is not just the nodes and edges, the structure of the, that topology itself, but also things like, what are the contents of the post body uh, on a GitHub issue comment, right? anything that SourceCred is interested in goes into the graph. And what we didn't really realize as we were building this was that what we were trying to do was to build a graph that was also a database. And neither of us knows how to design databases. That's like a whole area of computer science. There are like many courses about this, none of which I sadly was able to take um, just for time, you know. Um, but once we started realizing this, like the, the way that this manifests isn't that you say like, oh, this is a database uh, at the beginning. It's that you say, wow, this feels really clunky. Like uh, parts of the system that are trying to load the data like from external sources are necessarily coupled to the parts that are trying to do Markov chain analysis. And that like feels very strange. You would want the Markov chain analysis to be this kind of mathematically pure module that you can inspect and say, yes, this is like satisfies certain ergodicity theorems or whatever. Um, but it's like coupled to this GitHub data. Um, and so we went through this refactoring process where we tried to adapt the module to more cleanly separate the, the graphical data from the database data, the, the non-graphical data. And that was Graph V2. Um, and it was, it was more complex than Graph V1, which wasn't what we wanted. The problem with Graph V1 was that it was too complex. But it was as we were writing this, the structures that we created in the middle of writing this uh, that alerted us that 
helped us see the light that what we were actually trying to do was reinvent a database. And so then we took a step back and Graph V3 is uh, very pure. It's very simple. It does not have anything that looks like a database at all. It is a mathematical graph, or more precisely, it's a mathematical quiver, which is kind of a, a, a slightly different abstraction than the graph, but it turns out that it's what you want in this case. Um, and we just moved all the parts of the code that need to depend on anything that's not graphical to depend on data from other sources. So now we have a separate loading pipeline in the mirror module that loads in data from GitHub and puts it into a store. And that can be converted into a graph as a lossy conversion process, but it isn't a graph. And this was really powerful for us because now we have this graph module that Graph E3 that we spent not very long writing because at that point we understood we were able to take some of these principles from mathematics and formal logic and say, okay, this is a quiver. Like I know exactly what a quiver is. It is two objects in a category with two arrows between them. Um, and we can code up an implementation of that and we can test it completely in isolation. And then something like pretty magical happened. We didn't touch the code for months. Like if you look at the Git history for graph.js, it's very sparse. And that's something that we hadn't seen in the previous versions of the graph. As we were changing other parts of source cred, we kept needing to go back to the data layer and change the core fundamentals of how it worked. Like, oh, can you have like dangling edges in the graph? What happens if there's, I need dangling references, but I don't have like the data to which it needs to point. It was, it was a bit of a mess. And the, the, the fact that we were able to create this abstraction that has withstood the test of time and been really resilient to all the changes that we've needed to make to the surrounding system without requiring any fundamental changes and basically any changes at all uh, has, has been a great change, I think, and a, a testament to the power of finding the right abstractions and listening to your principles. Wow, that's amazing. I'll chime in and say that, you know, in the time since, since William stopped observing the project quite as closely, I did make a certain change to graph, which you could call graph 3.1, but it might be conceptually more accurate to call it graph 2.9, uh, which is that I, I added a little bit, I, I kind of watered down our, our abstraction barriers a little bit to add uh, just some shared information about like the, the how to describe nodes into the graph. Uh, and I did this basically as a knowing hack to not have to, to so that we could leverage the fact that graph has all these really well-defined semantics for like merging graphs and storing graphs and regenerating graphs. Uh, and, and so I did actually like water down the purity of the abstraction a bit uh, just to be able to get things to work with good velocity. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that was a good decision because I'm really just pragmatically trying to ship source cred. Uh, I, I William wants he can chime in on what he thinks of graph 2.9. Yeah, I had deliberately declined to comment on that. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that this is another side benefit of me working on source cred uh, in my spare time rather than full time is that I can choose to just like not look at that part of the code because that's not what I'm interested in changing right now. And if I were working on that part of the code, I would be like perpetually peeved that there are these imperfections in my pure abstraction and spend a lot of time trying to tease them out. But deadline's right. The, uh, they are like, I might even go so far as to call them technical debt, but they've been fairly low interest, right? They've been giving us value. And while they have compromised the purity of the abstraction, uh, the project hasn't come crumbling down around them, right? So 
I can stick working on the current piece of infrastructure that I'm finding interesting, which is uh, robustness to, to GitHub loading errors, and the graph just is what it is, and I don't have to worry about it. So does, is this abstraction related to the plugin infrastructure that allowed us to, for instance, uh, do the discourse plugin? Yes, it is. Um, how the plugin infrastructure works in SourceCred is basically that plugins define graphs. So the discourse plugin generates a graph from the discourse data. And then we merge all those graphs together and run PageRank on them. And so there needs to be a step, of course, in which the graphs are merged so that they're not just like disjoint unrelated data, right? And we do that by collapsing identities so that your GitHub identity and your discourse identity are the same node and cred can flow through it. Um, but yes, the plugins are closely coupled to the graph data structure because the graph data structure is what the plugins output. Got it. And so now, now that the cred experiment has been live for a few months here and there's been more activity, uh, have your sort of assumptions been challenged? How do you think the the infrastructure is handling it all? Hmm, that's a good question. I think that, so first of all, one of the nice parts about having this modular infrastructure is that I can kind of take this piecewise, right? There are, there are different pieces of infrastructure and architecture. Um, so one of them is like the GitHub loading pipeline. And I think that that has had basically exactly the same set of known failure modes over the past year, which is we know that there are cases where GitHub doesn't return what it says it will return. We know that there are cases where if nodes are deleted, then our cache doesn't have the behavior to deal with that. And that's just something that we haven't implemented. We haven't been surprised by any of the behavior there over the CRED experiment at all. Um, the graph, I think, has been similarly robust. Dandelion, you can correct me if I'm missing anything, but I don't think that the graph has really um, had any big holes in its abstraction exposed over the course of the CRED experiment. Um, then the other major piece of infrastructure is the plugin system itself. Um, plugin systems are actually really difficult to design. And part of that is because they can be hard to iterate on because by nature, like a plugin system is a public interface. Um, and we've managed to avoid having it be a truly public interface by you know, marking everything development only. And as long as we're the only people actually developing the plugins, we have a lot of license to change them as well, as long as we just make the changes ourselves. Um, but it's still, even besides that, it's a tricky thing to get right because what a plugin system is trying to do is find the right integration points, the right places where you can take your nice abstractions and carve out a whole of them and say, this piece can be changed to have some pluggable behavior by a plugin. And if you need to have a fairly small number of those so that it doesn't just become a combinatorial explosion of things to deal with, uh, and they need to be powerful enough and flexible enough to do what you want plugins to be able to do. And finding that balance can be really difficult. Um, we actually have a couple different plugin systems in SourceCred. We have a plugin system that I mentioned earlier that lets plugins define graphs or plugins load graphs. And we also have a plugin system on the front end that lets plugins render their data. So if you go to different views in SourceCred, you can see that um, 
like if you click someone's GitHub username, it'll redirect them. It'll it'll be a link to their GitHub profile rather than just a name. Sorry, right? that's actually that that's not really true though. I ripped all that logic out. Right. So this is uh what this is one thing that has changed as a result of the cred experiment and times adjacent to it, right? Is that we've changed a lot of this logic um, for the sake of expediency, partly for the sake of expediency and partly just because uh, we're not exactly sure what the right thing is to do yet. And we want to keep our options open. So the front end plugin system has changed a lot. Um, this is related to the change that Dandelion mentioned earlier, where we now store some data directly on the graph and that uh, in the short term, at least removes the need for a plugin system. Uh, and so we're still seeing, we're still going to see what's going to happen there. This is turning into uh, a dandelion engineer confessional podcast. <laughs> yeah, William is a much more principled and in many respects more like knowledgeable and like capable engineer than I am. Uh, and so I think that there, there's also like this this tension between like the purist and like the hacker that emerges here a bit. Uh, and I'm I'm personally really 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 glad for William's influence on the project because in so many ways. Uh, the fact that source cred is a pleasure to work on ties to infrastructure decisions that were kind of championed by William, uh, abstraction decisions that were championed by William, and also William's, many of William's good habits have infected me so that like even to this day, a year after when we were programming all the time, I still write pretty like atomic commits and good commit messages as opposed to my past habits of just like, you know, doing like 500 things in one pull request, producing a 3000 line change and then merging it all. Yeah, thank you. I can also say with complete confidence that if I had been the only person working on this project, it would have gone nowhere. And that's not just because Dandelion knows substantially more about economics and social systems than I do, but also because the principled nature that of my programming practices that Dandelion likes would have hamstrung me in making these pragmatic decisions that Dandelion has been so happy to make. Um, and I think that that duality between us has been a critical component in source cred working as well as it has. It's a negative feedback cycle, right? Um, and it's been really positive uh, for the project that we've been able to keep each other in check. Yeah, well, I, I definitely think you've created something pretty amazing here. Uh, so thanks to both of you. Maybe um, maybe you could just uh, sort of reflect on your, your recent thoughts about source cred. Is there anything you're particularly excited about? I'm excited that the discourse plugin is progressing in the way that it is. Um, we've always had one of the core goals of SourceCred be to value non-technical contributions just as much as we value technical contributions. Really, you know, like the project parameters can be set by the project maintainers, but to have the ability to value non-technical contributions with the same capacity as technical contributions. And this is like a hard problem because technical contributions tend to be more amenable to examination by technical solutions, right? Like we have a lot of metadata and history and logs for the technical solutions. And we've always planned to have something like a discourse plugin and just being able to get that data from people who are meaningfully contributing to the source cred project without writing code in the repository is really important. I'm I'm really glad to see that we are reaping the benefits from that now rather than deferring it to later, because I think it would be uh, maybe harder than we expect to try to attack that on later.
Absolutely. Yeah, it's really good to see some people who've only contributed on the forums here, you know, like uh, Barada and, and myself mainly getting some cred. And I, and I think that there have been some valuable uh, discussions going on in discourse too. Yeah, absolutely. Bino's post about champions and heroes, I found exciting and insightful. Oh, some of Zargum's posts about the different natures of the systems have been really interesting to read. Yeah, there's a lot of great content there that I'm happy to see. So if source cred were to fail, why would it fail? I think one of the reasons that source cred could fail that I'm most concerned about now is that we successfully onboard a lot of people onto the project and the communities around it, but we don't have the mechanisms to help those people engage productively and to encourage those people to behave in the ways and in pursuit of the goals that we, the current community and, and, and everyone here are trying to achieve. This is closely related to what I think Dandelion discussed earlier about having positive feedback loops to help bring people into the community and negative feedback loops to help direct that energy such that the community can harness it well. I think that depending on when we really start to evangelize source cred and encourage people to use it in production, as it were, if we're not ready for that, we can get an influx of people who may be completely well-meaning, but don't understand the, the limitations and try to push it too far and become disillusioned with it and then become detractors rather than promoters. We'd have people who try to game source credit itself while we're in like maybe trust level two and are most vulnerable to those attacks without having the systems ready to, to, to counteract them. And these could be attacks like Zarga mentioned on the previous podcast that attack the regulatory systems itself, right? Or just anything else that we don't foresee. I think that those more likely than any specific technical problems are what we should be concerned about. Interesting. Okay, one last question. Where do you hope the project to be in six months? I want to see a great integration of timeline cred and identity resolution with semantics that make sense and are understandable and compositional so that we can look at the cred distribution and see why people have the cred that they do, how that's changed over time, how that's been influenced by their different contributions and their interactions with other people, how their cred that they earn on GitHub is correlated with, connected to the cred that they earn on Discourse, and via initiatives and artifacts and manual nodes and everything else that we deem to be important. And I want to be able to have some confidence that the structures that we've chosen for the system are not arbitrary and have nice mathematical problems, one nice mathematical properties. One property of PageRank, for instance, classical PageRank, is that in certain cases you can prove that PageRank converges and has properties relating to compositionality that help you inspect uh, the output and understand it. One of the things that we see in 
other systems, specifically machine learning systems that try to gather a large amount of data and understand it are that it's hard to understand those systems themselves, right? Like there are classifier networks that can tell you whether an image is more likely to be a, a finch or a grasshopper, but it's hard to understand why it thinks that. And then you can come up with adversarial examples that show that the network actually isn't doing what you thought. And it's very easy to trick it into doing something that is surprising. Um, and part of the reason for that is that we don't really understand at a fundamental level what those machine learning systems are doing. And I would love to see in six months SourceCred be at a point where we can say the reason that the graph behaves the way that it does is because of these principles that we've built into it. And maybe we can empirically tune some parameters and see, look, this is responding in the way that we expected it to. Great answer. I, I definitely think that that capability would also make SourceCred more engaging to new contributors and allow them to, to sort of understand their role in the system as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. If you if you come into the system and you're a new contributor and you have, you know, order of five or ten contributions, which could be like maybe one pull request, some discourse discussion on it, and then some interactions that ended up in manual nodes, being able to see like look, the reason that you were awarded some cred is this, and maybe if you don't think that's right, like you can talk to us and we can see if the weights need to be adjusted or the process needs to be adjusted, or we need to update the documentation or onboarding processes so that you understand the way that we're coming at the problem and why we're thinking the way that we do. Yeah, I think that you're right. That could be a very valuable tool. Awesome. So looks like we're out of time here, but if anyone out there wants to get involved in SourceCred or just check it out, head over to sourcecred.io. There you'll find the forums, chat, GitHub, Twitter, all that good stuff. And we'll see you again next time.